Broadway Bullet, Volume 416, for 2010. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and this is our season finale. But uh, what a way to go out on a season finale. We have got long-awaited, much-requested. We have got an interview with Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp. They're getting ready to do their solo or their solo duo concert together starting in January, and I got 40 minutes to sit down with them in the hotel room while they were doing a press junket day, and I got lots of great stuff, and we're going to hear a couple songs, one from each of their solo albums, and they're going to talk about their passion projects and what they're doing. I think everybody will have a good time. We have also got uh, music and uh, information on the putting together of the Christmas Carol, the concert CD, as well as the Broadway Challenge, a new trivia app for the iPhone and iPad uh, that was developed by Dory Berenstein, and she's going to talk all about that. Uh, she's a three-time Tony-winning producer, had her on the show before, and uh, when she was involved with her documentary showbiz, so a lot of great stuff. Uh, that said... This is going to be my final episode where I am the interviewer of uh, Broadway Bullet. Don't fear. We did find somebody who's going to take over, but and I will still be actually handling editorial duties, assembling it, and I'll welcome you all to the show. But I have probably recorded my last interview unless I maybe schedule one on a trip back or something. So uh, I have to say it's a little bit bittersweet. Um, I think the new guy, Dennis Michael Keefe, who was on a few episodes ago, is uh, started a new off-Broadway off or off-Broadway cast recording label. And uh, he's got the studio right next door to me. Uh, very friendly guy. I think he'll get in the swing of interviewing very quickly, and I think you'll all enjoy him. Uh, give him a month or two. You know, when I started out on this podcast, it took me a while to really get my interviewing chops down. But I think we're going to keep it going very well. Um, but I'm heading back to my hometown, Great Falls, Montana, looking forward to some new opportunities there. And hey, with uh, some more of my time, I might even find some ways to improve the website. And uh, I think we might be able to turn Broadway Bullet into something even stronger and better uh, by not having to do every single duty on this. And uh, before we get to the interviews, I'm going to indulge myself on uh, – one thing, I've been working on my uh, first solo album in 11 years, and it's going to be coming out, uh, I think, end of January, beginning of February. Still working on the date, but as a sneak preview, I'd like to let you listen to one of the songs from the track. Now, this certainly isn't a musical theater album, uh, but uh, there's no question that musical theater is deep in my heart along with pop, rock, and R&B, and the album is just a mixture of everything, and I think... I think a lot of musical theater fans will find a lot to like in this album. And uh, I'm going by the project title, The Michael G. Matrix. My name is Michael Gilbo. So, and uh, it's despite the fact that it's quote-unquote my solo album, so many of the, the, 
the session musicians, great session musicians I've worked with in New York over the years have uh, volunteered to be a part of it, and there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, the song I'm going to play for you is called Staring Into the Sun. Now, actually, I'm giving this song away free. If you want to go to my website, the uh, www.michaelgmatrix.com, if you sign up for the mailing list, it'll instantly take you a link to download this song for free, and then you'll also hear information about uh, when the full album is actually coming out. So I'd love you to do that. There'll also be a link uh, on the front page of this episode, volume 416 at broadwaybullet.com. But get michaelgmatrix.com, a uh, song I co-wrote with Chris Williams and John Ziza, and it's actually the second song on the album. Uh, had a lot of fun. I think this is one of the, the most theater-loving songs on the album. So here it is, Staring in the Sun. I try to relax, maybe unwind, just when I get you off my mind. No, I'll get burned, but it's such a rush I should cover my eyes, oh, blindly and blind Is something new to me, I can't hold steady I can fall from the sky You got me fascinated, bewitched and captivated Oh, you got it And I'm helpless to stop it, stunned and paralyzed So completely In that photo, I know heartbreak is coming, but I can't run. I'm just going blind, staring into the sun. The dance floor waits just for you. Everyone watching what you do. Everything you think you say out loud, you're the brightest one.
the sun. So there it is, the second song from my uh, CD, beginning at the end. Michael G. Matrix is the project, www.michaelgmatrix.com. Go there, right-hand corner, sign up for the mailing list. You'll get the song for free, and uh, you'll hear when the album's coming out. And uh, hopefully you'll kind of share it with me, and as I've kind of been sharing with you <laughs> over the years. And there's going to be lots of other free stuff along the way, too, for people on the mailing list. So uh, do indeed sign up. So now, without any further ado, we're going to get on to the much-anticipated interview with Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp. And then again, we got the Broadway Challenge, Dory Berenstein, and Christmas Carol, the concert. Nice holiday kind of wrap-up. And... Uh, I'll be seeing you end of January, at least as an intro and uh, warm-up voice. Dennis Michael Keefe will be taking over interview duties for Broadway Bullet. Up close. Well, at long last, it has happened. Uh, one of the re- long-standing requests over the years. I've got Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp together here as they get ready uh, doing kind of a all-day press junket for Adam and Anthony Live on January 10th. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank you for seeing us. Very well. Thank you. Yes. Uh, For for our listeners who maybe aren't very familiar with your speaking voices, do you want to introduce yourselves quick so they can identify who you are? Absolutely. I'm Adam Pascal. I'm Anthony Rapp, but it would have been fun if we'd said the other thing, and then you would be very confused through the whole interview. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, well, I guess the very first thing to talk about is the the concert you're doing together. Is this a one-night-only event, or is it starting on January 10th? Well, it's it's, it's essentially starting on January 10th. Um, We we don't have an extensive itinerary booked as of yet, but um, it's the first of what will be more shows of the like. And what was what was the impetus for you guys getting together and, and doing the show together? Well, he Adam, you know, people probably know this who are familiar with the Rent lore, but you know, Adam was doing rock bands before he ever set a foot on a stage to do Rent, and so it had always been a part of his life. It had always been part of my fantasy life of like fronting rock bands. So then when I got to do Rent, it felt like both things kind of came true. Like I was doing a show and I was kind of fronting a rock band. So after Rent ended, I got, I met some great musicians, did some of my own music. So we were doing our own music separately. And then when we were on tour last year, Adam at the end of the tour said, why don't we do stuff together? And I was like, I thought that would be heavenly to me. So it's, it's really his idea. (laughs) Yeah. Just, I mean, it seemed like a, it seemed like a logical step for us to take, given that we both, like to perform our own stuff separately and why not see if we can do it together and maybe book larger shows and make it more of an event for the rent fans so they can see us at the same time in the same evening as opposed to coming and spending twice as much money to see us separately yeah and i think we really complement each other well i mean the kind of set that he does and the kind of set i do they're different but they also fit you know and then we do some stuff together and we do some stuff apart and it's I just feel like it's. I know for sure it's like a. It's like a full evening for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm guessing from what you're talking about that this isn't the typical cabaret night at Feinstein's. No. <laughs> no. And although I have played Feinstein's many times, again not with the typical ca- typical cabaret set. But um, no, it's 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 more of a rock show. But uh, I should say it's more of a rock style show. Mm-hmm. You know, my my set consists of about seventy five percent Broadway material, but I do like sort of radically rearranged versions of Broadway stuff, and then I'll do about 20 to 25 percent of my own stuff uh from my solo records do you do the death metal version of i feel pretty <laughs> whoa that's an idea <laughs> well i do i do like a very jazzy version of maria from west side story and i and i do sort of a very sort of pop uh influenced version of what i did for love from from uh from chorus line so you know i i i i, I like to hopefully find inspiration in whatever song it is that i choose to rearrange and that's that inspiration is where that rearrangement comes from 
And he's just singing his face off. I mean, it's just unbelievable. What the, Thank you. you know, I'm, it's like he's always had that voice, but it's like even better than ever now. So well, they say your voice gets richer as you yeah. get older. So. And it's just true. Well, now, Rent was like a big launching point for both of your careers, obviously, and, and where it's gone. But one thing I'd kind of like to talk a little about in the interview is both of you kind of came at becoming, you know, theater folks, so to speak, in a much different route than a lot of the the Broadway, you know, you know stars of the thing. And I kind of want to talk a little bit how you got into that and how... And you both continue to kind of carve a different niche for yourselves in the theater world than the traditional, you know, above the marquee names. Right. Um, for, for, you know, maybe a little bit of that Having lore. I've not been above the marquee yet, I wouldn't know about yeah, that. Yeah, we were above <laughs> the marquee on the tour. We oh, were. we were? Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Finally, at uh, long last, above the marquee. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, you know, I, I started, like Anthony said, I started playing in rock bands and, and ended up auditioning for Rent uh, out of just being at the right place at the right time and and everything started with that um, so but you know since I've been doing theater now for many years um, it's always felt interestingly enough always felt more natural to me than playing in rock bands ever did which is what I had done my whole life prior to that. So it was a very interesting thing for me to have been thrust into this world of performing in musical theater, but yet feel so comfortable and so natural in it, more so than I had ever felt mm. doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing all of those years. So, you know, it, you, you never know. Uh, you know, you never know where, where life will take you. And, and then you I, came more from film while you were young. You did a lot of... Yeah, I mean, I did theater when I was, my first show when I was six, my first professional show when I was nine, and then my first film when I was 15. So, yeah, I mean, I'd been sort of straddling around all the different stuff. And I'd done musicals when I was a kid, but I hadn't done a musical professionally for a number of years before I did Rent. So, um, so you were kind of like the industry pro of Rent when it I came guess, around. Yeah. Well, I, remember when, I remember when we met, when, we, when I first met him, I was like, I know this guy. I just I don't know where I know him from, but he looks so familiar. I just can't figure it out. Was but it Dazing and Fuse? It was or? probably Dazing and Fuse. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend wanted me to get a Playboy to have you sign. Oh yeah, from uh, Adventures in <laughs> Babysitting. That's Adventures in Babysitting reference, yes. Adam. My, I go. know. Are you kidding? My kids love that movie. It is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um, that the movie is 23 years old. It's crazy, and it did okay when it came out, but it wasn't like a huge hit. But it's had the staying power. It's crazy. My girlfriend watches it a couple times a year. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, I'm very proud. I mean, it's, it was a blast to it's do. It was fun. So I mean, yeah, I've had. I, we never. I came from this middle class, lower middle class, midwestern family. My mom was a single mother nurse. We didn't have any sort of like showbiz aspirations. We were just then how did stuff. you get into it young? I mean, I just did started doing community theater and then there was a director, one director in particular was very um, encouraging to my mom saying, go to, go to Chicago. He could probably get work. And she's like, okay. And we just did that. And then from that I got auditions for shows in New York and we were like, okay, we did that. I mean, it was just sort of like, uh, just keep going and keep going and, and see what happens. And I've been very, very fortunate. But a lot of stage mothers have now made uh, you an effigy. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but I mean, but that's the thing, too. My mom was like the anti stage mother. I mean, she was just like people loved having her around because she was this very unassuming, very supportive, very sweet lady who loved being a part of it, but was not in any way, shape, or form pushing me into it. So it was, I was very, very, very lucky. And uh, I mean, I, I credit. Her with so, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be here without that support in the first place. Um, so, but I think that that sort of general thing of you just you, you don't have to like. There are some people who are very, very regimented about what they, how they want to like 
make themselves into whatever they are. And I think that there's some that can be probably pretty smart in some respects, but at the same time, it's like you never know what can come of anything. So open yourself up to all sorts of opportunities. Well, we're going to get to talking a little bit more about some of this stuff, but maybe we should uh, take a moment and play some music from you guys that uh, maybe some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with. Um, Adam, <laughs> uh, do you want to play a song from your CD here? Sure, yeah. This is a song uh, called Single Drop of You from Blinding Light, and it's the first uh, track on the record, and it's actually the first song that Larry and I, I think, ever actually wrote together. And uh, here it is, coming at you. All right. Little town along the way Pushed here by the wind So much sky A river wave carried me here And a lightning Thirsty ground
right. The great, great stuff here, and uh, people can get the CD at iTunes. Sure, and... absolutely. iTunes and iTunes or Amazon if you want the actual CD itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you go to meandlarry.com. You can get it there as well. All right. And now, Anthony, uh, from your CD, what would, what would you like to play here? It's, actually, it's funny. He's, he played the first song that he and his writing partner wrote together, and this is the song, the first song that one of my writing partners, Joe Pizzapia, um, and I wrote together. He, he had this guitar part that he had sort of just been playing around with, and, and we were talking about writing a song, and I wanted to write a song about my experience of losing my mom. I wanted to find something to say about that, and there was this whole period during the show where I was going home on my days off to visit her while she was, you know, in the last months of her life, and he gave, it was like this gift that he gave me of this guitar part, and then we, like one afternoon we just heard this song came out, so it's the first song that we wrote together, and uh, it's called Visits to You. All right, let's take a listen. Visits to you are suddenly new, suddenly everything is sacred. I've been here before, will I be here again? Please tell me you'll never be taken. Is this a
visits to you? And again, kind of same where you roll Amazon, iTunes, yeah. all the... Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I, th I think we, we haven't gone back to print with the hard CD in a while, so I don't know how many more Amazon has left, but, you know, it's certainly on iTunes. Um, it's also a song that's in my show, Without You, uh, which is also about all that experience of losing my mom and everything during the, during the rent run. Yeah, we'll get into that here in a little bit, and you just did that with uh, New York Musical Theater Festival as yes. well. Uh, one thing I'd like to kind of talk to you about, um, obviously, there, there's certain roles, you know, performers and roles that just, you know, seem to go to, you know, Yul Brenner and The King and I, and uh, and then there's uh, Hello, Dolly, you know, and, and, and I feel like you guys are getting very much identified with, you know, you know Roger and Mark and, and Rent, and what I'm wondering is, do you, I mean, I'm sure definitely you'd like it to extend, but does it ever feel like a double-edged sword at the same time, getting so strongly identified with the project? It never feels like a double-edged sword personally in any way, shape, or form. I do know of two jobs that where I know I did not get the roles because of Rent, cause I, and I know that because there were people I knew in the room, so they heard the discussion that went on um, after the auditions. And that's sort of a bummer, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, it's like, I think we should be so lucky as to be identified with something so meaningful. Like, I always said back in the day when this was all happening, when, when the show was kind of a phenomenon, you know, it was really a phenomenon. Um, it was like around the time of the Spice Girls, if you remember that. And then, uh, I, I do remember the Spice Girls. I was like, zing a zing. <laughs> I mean, they might say something differently, because I'm not them, obviously, but I would, it's a much different ball game for me to be recognized to be playing Mark Cohen in a show called Rent, which has everything it has to say about everything that it has to say, than to be like a Spice Girl. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a very different life. It's a very different reason for fame. So it's something that it's a it's a reason for fame that I will always be grateful for. I think that I think that there's a responsibility of being famous for something that is perceived as being very important to a lot of people, and. And I think Anthony's reference to the Spice Girls isn't—they're not important to them. <laughs> well, but you know, but it's but it's but I, but I think it's just a it's 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 a meta, it's it's really just a, a representation of of a type of fame and a type of popularity that isn't um, as meaningful as as what we've been lucky enough to have been associated with, you know. Um, and whether that's you know a Spice Girl or or anyone else that's the, that's seen as something. Um, uh, What's the word? It's like more, just a little more, just pop, you know, pop for pop's sake, which is entertainment and good and fine. But I just think at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I wonder how, maybe they were very fulfilled by it. I don't know. You know, it's just, it, it, to know that at the center of that crazy storm that we were a part of, that at the center of it all was this beautiful piece that Jonathan Larson wrote that Michael Greif directed that we all put our hearts and souls into that people saw every night after night and had their in some cases had their lives changed because of it that just feels like a different life than just you know what i really really want <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm just <laughs> And I, I, I did hear, you know, I've heard like rumors over the years that you felt mixed about what a theater career did towards your, you know, rock career and aspirations. Now that you're kind of, uh, well, you, you know, int I mean, whether, I mean, it's not what it did or didn't do. It's it's really what maybe I perceived it did or didn't do at the time, you know. Um, and you know, now I sort of feel like I've come out on the other side of it and realized that, you know. 
my theater career is the only reason I have any kind of career at all, you know, and so I'm lucky enough to be able to go out and play my own music, and it's because I've done theater um, that I'm able to go out and, and do that and, and sell some tickets, you know. Um, and, and, but it's it, it, interestingly ironic. I've gone through these sort of, you know, when I, when I first started doing musical theater and I was trying to get record deals, um, you know, I, I was the guy in musical theater who had no, who wasn't from musical theater. I was a rock guy, but then I was trying to get record deals from the record company. They're like, "But wait a minute, he's a musical theater guy. He's on Broadway. What does he know? I, we won't give him a rock a record to, you know, like a contract to make a rock and roll record. He does musical theater." So I was really stuck in between, like this, like purgatory of like n- not being particularly accepted in either place. Um, I, I very much understand you. I, I do make my career in my recording studio as a music producer, okay. and, yeah. and I'm a theater fan too. And yeah, every, nobody quite knows what to make. So you, exactly. You do theater, you do yeah, rock, yeah. or what do you? Yeah. What do you? But but interesting, you know. Now we're here all these years later, and the two have very much uh, morphed with each other. So there's the, the, that clear distinction between the two is not nearly as as black and white as it used to be. It's it's interesting in the wake of American Idol, I guess, is part of it. Um, yeah, that people are valuing singing again in a different way. You know what I mean? They're thinking about the vocalist. They're thinking about the vocal quality. They're thinking about interpretation of songs. And the, but yet, at the same know. time, all of the most popular music today is music that's filtered through that vocal auto tune, yes, yeah, auto-tune yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. which has no relationship to real <laughs> singing at all, and, and quite and generic makes every vocalist sign is not very generic. Yeah. So it's it's, yeah. it, it's interesting what's happened in, in pop <laughs> culture with music, and like you were saying, on the one hand, people seem to be embracing real singers, but yet the most popular music is <laughs> is music that's not really even being sung. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> who knows? Do you see any of that kind of, you know, dichotomy affecting the theater world nowadays? I mean, is the fact that people's ears are getting used to hearing this auto-tune kind of crap? So I think people, I mean, you know, people have been saying for years and years and years that theater is going to die because of all the different media that people have in their lives. But clearly it's not. People will always want to have live performance. There's just nothing like it. And to hear a, a person standing in front of you, however many feet away from you, singing. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think people go to to a, a Broadway show expecting to hear an auto tune voice. I don't think, you know, um, and there's just there will never there's just there's no there's no comparison to that connection that a, a live audience can have with the performer when it's cooking the way that it can cook. Now, one thing I'm kind of you know career wise as you think and you know plan and and into your goals, my guess is that you could have done a lot more bigger theater roles than you've done over the past few years. I mean, you've both done, you know, notable other things, you know, Good Man Charlie Brown and, and Aida or Ada. Aida, Aida. Aida is Aida. <laughs> um, but given your, your, your stature in the business and your names and your popularity, I would think that you could have done a lot more theater if you wanted. I'm kind of wondering what your, your goals are and, and your lifestyle choices that you... Hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean... Quite frankly, in briefly thinking about your your assumption, um, I don't really feel like there's anything that I wanted to do that I didn't do, or that um, things were offered to me that I turned down. You know, like there's just not. You know, I think there's a perception about that, and we were just talking about this, I think, recently, um, that like you know, we had people were banging down our doors trying to give us jobs and you know that that was never the case and is isn't still isn't the case um you know there's such a finite amount of work in theater and a lot of shows that get developed go through a development process and the people that start with the show at the beginning of the development process 
you know, a lot of times are the ones who stay with the show and, you know, directors have people they like to work with and like, so it's not like if you become a popular movie star um, and you're all, you're all of a sudden bankable and then all of a sudden studios and, and, and producers are, 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 you know, knocking down your door trying to get you to be in their movie because they think there are dollar signs behind that. Producers don't look at us like that. I, you know, I've, I actually just had a, a, a situation recently where um, I was offered a part in the show and, you know, it came to, it, which I didn't end up taking over money issues, but... but what 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 happened was the producer you know we said okay we want this amount of money and they said well we're only willing to pay this amount of money and and their argument was well sure adam's really popular when he's connected with rent and and aida and but you know we don't know what his his popularity in terms of how that's going to manifest in ticket sales is going to be outside of that in this show which has nothing to do with that and so you know again it's you're not you're not nearly as big of a guarantee like in, in the world of theater as you are in the world of TV and film. If you become really popular, then people will just like, oh, I like that guy. I'm going to go see him in anything. You know, you're paying $100 a ticket on Broadway. You know what I mean? It's not just about turning on your television, you know. Um, and so it's, 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 I guess, you know, my long way of saying it is, is that it's still, I think, just as difficult for us <laughs> to get jobs in theater as it is for any working professional in the theater, you know. Um, so, I know James Barber keeps telling me he's quitting theater, and then all of a sudden he's you know doing another show. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know it's it, because it's frustrating. I, I understand some. I understand his frustration sometimes with things like oh, forget it. I've had enough of this. It's it's you know. But this is what we do. I mean, what else are you going to do? I wish I was younger and could have done something like Spring Awakening. Honestly, I mean <clears throat> that, that's one of the only shows. And then I'm like too old for that right now and then I was too young to play like Dan and Next to Normal like those are the shows that I would want to be a part of there's not a lot of other things that I've personally been like chomping at the bit to be a part of either you know it's um, you know I love to perform I love to act but I don't want to just uh, you know I don't want to just do anything just to do it either there, so. are, there, are, there are people in this town and this is not a negative comment at all it's just it's just the difference between the types of performers that we are there are people like Anthony and my, and my peers uh, who work a lot and they kind of just they go from show to show and and I, I, I envy that actually you know like and, and they never let their egos get in the way and they'll do a lead in one show and then do a supporting role in another show and it's just about like they keep working and that's great and I'm not that kind of person you know and, and, yeah, and I think that's the heart of I think what I was getting at because right. I because I think you certainly both could have that ability to do the, <laughs> right. that kind of thing um, yeah. yeah yeah I mean I think we sat down with our agents say like yeah okay I want to do more Broadway shows like whatever it is anything right. now like replacement whatever in any show and then we could probably make stuff happen maybe who knows I mean but yeah we that hasn't been my game plan and I don't think it's right and you know I live in Los Angeles and so I, I don't have the type of life that affords me the opportunity to sort of pop in and out of things you know on a whim you know for me to come back to Broadway it's like relocating my whole family and it's a huge commitment and you know it has to be the right situation and it has to be you know it has to work for all for for us and our lifestyle and you know eight shows a week is a grind it's a it's a fantastic grind but it's a grind and so it's just like what what rent is about is how do you spend your life what, you know if you you don't know how much time you have how are you going to spend the time you have well that's that's about as much as anything about the time you have so if you're going to devote your life to that kind of grind where you have one day off a week and where you have it can really limit what you can do in the rest of your life it should be for something that you really want to do i think 
Okay, well, we're going to take a brief time out before we finish, and I'd like to come in and talk about some of your personal passion projects that you've been do, doing recently. But on the, in this press junket day, we got somebody else coming in that needs to do something with you quick. So um, thanks for talking. We'll be right back here. Close. Well, I'm back here with Adam and Anthony. A break for me, not for you. <laughs> for Adam and Anthony in concert. And I uh, wanted to kind of just take this uh, last bit moment of the interview to talk a little bit about some of your own personal passion projects that you've been working on recently. Uh, maybe start with you, Anthony. I know very notably you had a very good run here at Nymph with Without You. And I thought maybe you'd want to say just a, kind of a little bit about what drove the show for you. Well, I mean, I wrote the book over a number of years. It was the hardest thing I ever did, and I never thought about it in terms of a show. And then a couple of years ago, a young producer that I wasn't working with, but just he just casually kind of said, have you thought about adapting? And I said, no, I really haven't. But he kind of planted a seed, and I started to talk to a friend of mine who's a director that we'd been looking for a project together. And he helped me find a way to tell the story on stage because it is a very different medium, which I knew. I didn't want to just sort of... I do, I, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it right. And then in doing it, found a way to weave music in and out of it. And we did a reading of it three years ago. And every step of the way, we've just had more and more encouragement. And the nymph was even more encouragement. You know, um, we got some nice reviews, but the audience response and the in, with, in the industry and out of the industry and all sorts of people just said, yes, keep going, keep going. So I got to go to Seoul, South Korea just now, do four-week run there, and it was transcending you know the language barrier the audience response was amazing and um were, were there a bunch of soul rent heads as well there are yeah no yeah there are and there were there and there were fans from japan who made the trip over to seoul from tokyo you know it's um i'm very honored to have uh, the response the way it is and, and it, you know this business is so fickle and weird to have something that i've created that i own that is mine and i don't mean just own like the materially own but that that is just comes from it's i absolutely am responsible for everything that is on that stage you know what i mean and there's something that's very empowering about that and um i'm just fortunate that people are saying yes keep going and uh, wh why did you choose nymph for for the new york here performance um it just seemed to make a lot of sense you know getting a show off the ground in new york there's so much infrastructure and that that it's just really hard and nymph has all that um taken care of the venue and the lights and the sound and all that stuff all you have to do is show up and do it i mean there are crazy things about being part of festival like you have to tear your set down and put it back up and all that stuff but that's just that's fine um and i just a way to have a platform to show people in new york that it's not just a cabaret piece you know that it's a theater piece and so we feel like we did that and from that people are now talking to us about the next steps so it was it was successful in every respect i definitely wish you you know luck with that and we like nymph here so thank I'm you glad yeah, we, no i mean it was we do. i'm i and i'd done i'd done uh, when next to normal was known as feeling electric i was part of that and so i'd been part of nymph before and i'd been a juror before and so i i really believe in the mission of nymph too so i was very proud to be a part of that as well and adam what's been on your plate recently uh, I am um, adapting and have been adapting this concept album by a band named Queensryche. Uh, they are a hard rock band uh, that have been around since the early 80s, and I've been a fan of them 
pretty much since then. Uh, and in 1988, they wrote this concept record called Operation Mindcrime that I was a huge, 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 huge fan of. I think most people know Silent Lucidity if yes, they're older they than, like, they 25. <laughs> uh, which was a couple of albums after after the one that I'm referring to. But oh, wait, oh, I thought, okay, I thought that was Operation Mindcrime. No, Silent Lucidity, nope, Silent okay. Lucidity's a few albums later, so it won't be in our show. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so, but I'm adapting that concept album into a, a stage musical. So I've been working on that and uh, developing the book with a writer um, and and rearranging and reorchestrating the music with a, a musical director. And so it's, it's coming along fabulously. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know what our initial presentation to the public will be or in what capacity, but because uh, we haven't really decided what route we want to do. You know, we're still very much in the creative phase of, of uh, being able to put this on a stage in some capacity. So um, I'm hoping that within the next six months or so we'll, have, we'll be able to put it up at least to do a reading of it or some sort of, you know, uh, staged scenario in some way. So how how did Queensryche take it when you first approached them? Were they like, what's this theater guy? No, <laughs> not at all. They were, they were you know, the, the lead singer, Jeff Tate, who's the primary songwriter, was very, uh, very generous with his material and, uh, and extremely generous with his uh, allowing me to kind of run with it. Um, and he's being very non-proprietary with his with his songs, which is great because we needed to do a lot of radical stuff to it. And a lot of people would be very, um, uh, well, to use the word again, proprietary uh, <laughs> over their material and don't, I don't want you to change it and I don't want you to do anything and you got you to keep it the way it is. And he said, go do whatever you need to do. Do what you want. You know, I think he's, I think he, I think he always envisioned a way to see it on the stage as well. Not necessarily knowing how to do that, but so I think he's very optimistically curious as to what I'm going to do and, you know, with his material. And so he's been very, you know, like I said, very generous with allowing me to uh, to basically have my way with it. So, And was it a project? Was is it been more than you expected it to be as a project? Um, it, anything worth doing is always more than you expect it's going to be and more difficult than you expect it's going to be. And, and But, you know, that's part of the enjoyment for me of the process is to sort of crack that nut of, of difficulty, you know what I mean, and get over those hurdles where you didn't necessarily anticipate this particular thing being so difficult. But, you know, and, and that's what the process is. That's the work process, and that's any musical goes through that process. And, and so I'm going through the same organic process that you would with any other musical, you know. Um, and, but but my, to, to, to my advantage, I have a lifelong history of being such a fan of this record. So I'm coming at it not like some theater producer who wants to sort of, like, you know, dismantle something and turn it into... Like, I, I'm the biggest fan of that record there is so you know I, I certainly would to me it's sacred and so the changes that I'm making in my mind are necessary and hopefully beautiful you know and so you know my idea is to take something that they created and basically use their record as um, the colors of paint but take those colors and re and paint a new picture that's sort of the way that I'm looking at it all right. So while you're working on your own projects, you get to come together and fans get to see you together in Adam and Anthony in concert starting on uh, July, or January, July. Those J's and <laughs> January. And you're going to be touring this around the country as well, too. A little bit. I mean, dates are starting to come in, and you know, hope there are going to be a lot of people in New York at that time from around the country. Uh, this there's this conference of presenters, and so they're going to be coming to see our show. So. Hopefully more people will 
say, yeah, come on down and do your show at our place. <laughs> For our listeners who uh, can't get to New York to catch you, is there a website they can go to maybe check to see if you're going to end up hitting anywhere close to them? Sure. I mean, they can go to my Facebook page, which is Adam Pascal. They can certainly um, get the information from also RJ Productions. Um, his website. What is Rich's? Do you know what rjprods.com, I think, but you better verify that Broadway bullet. Um, <laughs> uh, Act checking. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 the, the main way I interact with my fans is on Twitter. Um, I'm at Albino Kid. One, it's one word A L B I N O K I D on Twitter. All right. Well, Adam Pascal, Anthony Rapp. Got it right this time here in the thing. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, and you. uh, it was a crazy day, and best of luck with uh, this project and all your other projects. Thank you. Thank you. Trade secrets. Dory Berenstein was last on our program when she was involved with Legally Blonde. It's still up. You can go check for it. And the three-time Tony Award-winning producer for uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Blue Moon is back here to talk about her new exciting project, the Broadway Challenge trivia game app for the iPad, iPhone, and uh, iPod. How are you doing, Nori? I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> so th this game is a fun game, and for people who are looking for you know, a gift that won't set them back you know, a uh, hundred bucks this holiday season, this could be a great uh, treat for theater lovers. <laughs> so the, the, the challenge game, I guess, first off, maybe in a nutshell, like we don't we don't have the ability of you know showing the the iPad or the, on the screen. So maybe your producer's pitch in a nutshell. <laughs> what is the game? Make people want to play it. <laughs> well, I wanted to create the ultimate Broadway trivia game that you can play and play and play all season long, and rarely, if ever, get the same question twice. And uh, have so many different games and and different ways of playing that it would just keep you immersed in Broadway all year long. So, was when you th you thought of this idea? I guess what what was? How did you go about putting it together? What were the steps? This seems like a a big undertaking. This just isn't a little directory app where you can just have it <laughs> reference you know some other website uh, and and pull all that information. This is you know like essentially a a TV show slash board game. <laughs> yeah, it it, uh, it was a m far more massive undertaking than I realized when I started off. Uh, uh, it, we really wanted very much to create something that uh, was um, not straightforward, you know, something that really would challenge even the the most um, uh, theater-seeped people out there, you know, people who really know Broadway trivia wanted to create something for them as well as, as, well as uh, people who just enjoy theater. And so it had to have a range. It had to have... Uh, it had to be playable uh, by uh, all levels of theater level lovers, and it really had to span uh, theater history as well as bring it all the way up to contemporary theater, and it had to be fun, 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 and so we had to design games that would really uh, uh, be playable, be fun, be easy to figure out quickly. Yeah, I should, this isn't just a bunch of like true-false questions no. or, or multiple-choice questions. There's like a whole cate different categories yes. of types of games for each category. We started, we, we've launched with eight different categories. Uh, and off the top of my head, you have it in front of you. I'm <laughs> going to see if I can do it. Um, we have uh, divas and actors, uh, plays, musicals, movie musicals, Broadway lore, plays, um, 
Perhaps I've forgotten something. But we have eight different categories that uh, we're launching with. We're going to be adding new categories as we go along. And for each category, there are ten different games. So, uh, as I said, you can play and play and play. And uh, it keeps you um, uh, with new, fresh content and different games for quite a long time. Yes. Yeah, so, like, for instance, describe a couple of the more interesting types of categories for the games, because, like I said, it's not just the simple true-false, so that is one of the categories. Sure. So, uh, well, true-false is the easiest one, because either it's true or false. But we have, uh, for example, a match game. Oh, it's my favorite, because you have, for example, four great Broadway actresses, and then you have four shows. And very quickly, because you're on a timer, you need to match that Broadway actress with that Broadway show. And you have to do it very quickly. And the, the faster you do it, the higher your score. And everything is on a timer so that you can, uh, even playing against yourself, let alone playing against everybody out there or your friends, you can work to get your score uh, you know, higher and higher and higher. We also have a game that's built in in addition to uh, the, the 10 different games. You can play uh, a pass and play game where if you are with friends, you can play from uh, two to four people, and there's a special game designed that if you're there with a, uh, with a friend. And there's also a blindfolded game, so you don't know what categories you're getting or games you're getting. So if you're not so good at a particular category, you can't avoid it. So there's so many variations that, that uh, make, I think makes it a lot of fun. Um, and we also have um, uh, a, Matches is a great game. I, I, I really enjoy quotes and um, uh, lyrics, both of those, for example, if you have a, a lyric from uh, In the Heights, mm -hmm. then it's not so simple as, you know, identify this lyric, you know, which, which show. You have to, you have to decide uh, between four different choices. And we've worked really hard with, the, with each question to give you four options that it could possibly be. So it's not so straightforward. So somebody who knows their Broadway trivia will be maybe stumped. Along the way, which <laughs> would be great. Well, like I said, I, I definitely I, I played the game briefly before we you know started here, and uh, I, I'm a good test taker and a fairly you know knowledgeable on on theater trivia. And I, I do thought think a lot of those questions were well thought out that way. I mean, when in multiple choice kind of things, it's easy. Yeah, right. Every you, you, I, I can usually get at the right answer without knowing remotely <laughs> the right answer in a multiple choice. And, the, and you, there are a few things in there that definitely had me going, yeah, it could be this, this, or this. Which one is it? <laughs> Which kind of brings up the question, where do you come up with the questions? How, do you, how, do you, how many questions are in there? Well, there are, there are 5,000 questions, but we're going to be adding questions all the time. Uh, and new categories. Are you still producing theater oh, besides yeah. writing questions? Absolutely. Because 5,000 questions <laughs> is a lot of... <laughs> well, as I, as I said, it, it was uh, far more ambitious than I realized when I started <laughs> off to do this. I love trivia, and I'm a complete Broadway-obsessed person and, and uh, can you know, just live it and breathe it. And so I wanted to create something that, that um, captured that and not... Create something for me, you know, that I can have a great time doing, <laughs> but also for for everybody out there that that enjoys theater. And I I, I set out um, and involved different people along the way that had expertise, perhaps in plays from the fifties, or uh, they were experts in musical theater. I really wanted to get people inside the theater community who knew their stuff really well to help uh, write the questions, so that they were really smart. And it took a year. 
uh, a year to create the game. And we worked with a software company in Ireland that helped us program the game and you know create the designs and uh, and then you know as I said a year to write the questions and and we are writing we continue to write it's it's mainly an exercise between eleven and one in the morning <laughs> because of the day job. How many but, questions <laughs> can you come up with between eleven and one? Uh, actually, it's interesting because we did calculate it at a certain point. It I'm sure really as a takes, producer, you got the math down. It, I can get this many <laughs> questions in. <laughs> <laughs> to, to really do, create a question well and to, you know, turn it upside down and make sure that we've got it right, it really takes around 10 minutes per question. You know, it's – and this is – the starting point is, are people that are working on this that know theater. You know, it's uh, – it, 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 a lot of it required uh, a great deal of research, you know, to make sure that we have the quotes right and the – um, and the lyrics exactly correct and and the order of things properly. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, – and we went over it and over and over it. So uh, it's a lot of work. Maybe get built into the app to let people submit a question to you and there's like a question of the week winner. Oh, <laughs> gosh. That would help. be great. What a good idea. I'd love that. <laughs> You know, it was also really important, and one of the one of the primary impetuses for this, and early on, was to create something that would also benefit and celebrate Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and so that's very much part of it as well. Now, I and, so, and you said all the profits do go to Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS as well, right? Yes. I love the organization, but I'm going to say, well, why don't you deserve to make money? <laughs> this is a legitimate commercial endeavor. I'm sure it's a lot of work. What was the decision to go with, with charity versus an outright commercial endeavor on this? Uh, I, I just want to do my part in supporting Broadway Cares. You know, I think it was a, 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 it's a nice way to do it, and, uh, and it's such an important organization. And um, uh, I, I just felt strongly about it. I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I wanted. I wanted the proceeds to benefit. I'm, 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 I'm not driving down <laughs> on you. Uh, is, I, I am just curious because it does seem up straight up like a lot, a lot of effort yes. on your part. This is this oh. is just even on your work put in on this. I would say this is far beyond a typical type of donation, you know, versus a Broadway star. Yeah, I'll show up at night and sing a song and take off my shirt or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it was it, it was fun to create, and it's fun to play, and uh, you know, I I'm very satisfied with our our setup and and that <laughs> proceeds go to Broadway Cares. So, how was it coordinating? You said working, you worked with a programmer, you yes. know, in a company in Ireland, getting your vision and and getting like talking programmer language and theater producer language is was that crazy? <laughs> well, I I uh, I have. Uh, uh, Background. Um, I've pr- created, produced a lot of um, websites along the way, so it wasn't a foreign language to me. And so, and I knew I really knew what I wanted here. And this company has done a lot of wonderful apps, uh, and uh, they were recommended to me. And it was fantastic relationship. It was, you know, with modern technology, being able to communicate <laughs> so easily with another, uh, you know, with someone in another country, it's like they're in the next room. It doesn't matter. You know, it made it made it very easy. Uh, to to work closely with them, collaborate all the way through. All right. So it's the Broadway Challenge app. If they type Broadway Challenge in the iTunes store, they can find it. Is there also a website? Or yes. Anywhere, uh, www.broadwaychallenge.com. We have a lot of information about um, the game, and uh, you can download uh, the imagery and uh, uh, gives you a link to the store and all the background information you could possibly want.
All right. So, and there's also like a high score leaderboard for everybody oh, yeah. connected to the internet. So, well, it's it's really quite amazing. We have the, ho- the top 100 scores uh, listed, and so when you play the game, you can post your score and uh, hopefully make the top 100. And I have to say. <laughs> And I wrote most of the questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot get close to our high score. I cannot get close. <laughs> it's just amazing to me <laughs> how well they're doing. And, it, and it's probably important to say because we've talked about how, how complex and, mm-hmm. and de- steeped in, it is in theater. It's important to say I think also that they're easy, medium, and hard levels so that you know, if you're not uh, a theater aficionado but want to take the challenge, you can absolutely do it and have a lot of fun. You don't have to be theater guru to <laughs> to play the game at all. So do you have any future uh, things on the boards lined up as a producer? Oh my goodness, yes. A quick, uh, maybe a quick little plug <laughs> about what you got coming up well, that, that you can speak about. I, I, I have a, a, a new musical that is about to be announced and I, I can't say anything about it quite yet, but I, I am ecstatic about the creative team that's come together on it and we'll be uh, announcing that soon. And uh, couldn't be more thrilled about it. And um, I have a new documentary feature that I'm working on um, on Carol Channing that uh, will be uh, debuting in the spring. All right. So definitely enough to keep you busy for a while. Oh, wait, no. I, I did do It was show business that I had That's you right. on before. That's I was, right. I, it was right around the time still of Legally Blonde, and we talked about <laughs> Legally Blonde as well. So that's I, I had a, that documentary was fantastic. It's Thank also you. still available on DVD and yes. all that. So, Dory Berenstein, thanks so much for coming down and uh, sharing and talking about the Broadway Challenge app in the making. And hopefully everybody goes out and and grabs that and starts competing with each other and drives those high scores up further. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe, maybe you'll need to rotate the high scores each week to get people every week trying to get the high score. <laughs> that keeps me addicted on Bejeweled Blitz. You know, so. Ah, good advice. I appreciate it. A lot of good ideas. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having us, and, and, uh, and I hope everybody goes out and takes the challenge. All right. Thank you. Just in time for the holidays is the CD release of A Christmas Carol, the concert, a brand new concert arrangement of A Christmas Carol with original lyrics and featuring many, many Broadway stars. We have got the composer, Bob Christensen, as well as the lyricist and book uh, co-writer, or co-adaptation, yeah, or no, 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 there's not a co on there. <laughs> no co. It's just book adaptation. adaptation. Yes, by Lisa Hauser here with us. How are you two doing? We're doing great. Great, thanks, thank you. Thanks for having us here. All right. So uh, first off, really first, to let people know they can pick this up at www.christmascaroltheconcert.com. But uh, I guess first off is tell us what, what is this recording? What is the concept behind this show? Well, um, I've written another big piece for orchestra that's actually being done at Carnegie Hall on November 14th with the Baltimore Symphony and Marinelle Sepp conducting called Too Hot to Handle. That's a good name. Yeah. and (laughs) I I co-wrote it with uh, uh, Gary Anderson, and it's been done for about 20 years. And it's a big production number. There's about three, 400 people on stage. And I've seen that uh, orchestras, every time we do it, the orchestra manager comes over to me and says, you know, this is the only concert we've done all year that they've made money. And... So in that vein, I wanted to do another concert around Christmas that will be a big presentation. This will be full orchestra, you know, as many people in the choir as you can get, um, a narrator, three singers, and a rock pop slash you know, R&B rhythm section. So it, it's a big deal. It's a lot of stuff going on on stage. But at the same time, you don't need to have costumes. You don't need to have sets. 
you can have lights if you really want to go crazy. You can have a, you know, a, a special on each of the soloists and, 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 and you're done. And it's if, – if you haven't done this kind of thing like, – I play in the group on Too Hot to Handle and the energy level and the way the audience reacts is just such a wonderful thing. I just wanted to do it again. Yeah, so Bob, uh, we'd been we met at BMI and we'd been writing some stuff together, um, you know, one-off songs for demos for film and TV, etc. And we'd been looking for a, a full-length piece to work on. So he calls me one day and he says, "Elisa, I've got this idea of uh, doing a concert version of a Christmas Carol. You know, sort of a follow-up to Too Hot to Handle in that same vein for orchestras." He said, "Christmas Carol Dickens," and I said, "Oh, really, Dickens? <laughs> Isn't that like the most overdone?" piece you could pop i was like ah okay i'll think about it oh gosh i haven't read it i, I feel much the same way to be honest yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, why wait. isn't there another piece another that right adapted? right so i went to the bookstore <laughs> i picked it up i read i you know the 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 text and i read it i'd never sat down to actually read the book that dickens wrote before and she never saw the black and white films either which no. is actually a plus i really plus. Well, yeah was not very familiar with the story at all and uh so i sat down to read it and quite honestly i was really blown away i you Dickens, everyone knows, um, is amazing. It, it was, was a hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a hack. Couldn't write very well. Um, so I was totally blown away, and I called him up, and I said, I can totally see this. I started getting ideas. Oh, how can we do this? How can we do this? You know, to, to make it our version and really to spotlight the orchestra because we are not a musical. It is really a focus on the orchestra and the story. And we so we have a narrator, and we have a soloist playing Scrooge, and then we have th- uh, two other soloists who fill in all the other parts um, and uh, and the choir but uh, and so that's how we we make it happen and when you hear it hopefully you will understand oh that's why we need another Christmas Carol yeah and we also thought I mean that there have been a million different uh, Broadway versions of this you know one's called Scrooge one's called Christmas Carol I mean you Google Christmas Carol you see all the different musicals there are but there really is no concert version that does it in the way that we've done it it's you know it's it's like it's storytelling, you know, but using the big orchestra um, uh, to, to help along, and it's never been done in that way. And I'm a big believer in in orchestras and in especially in the, in the orchestra rock group combination. It's my favorite milieu to work in, and um, and, and so this seemed like a perfect w- way to do it. Also, I'm, I'm very used to the black and white films. I grew up with them, and I could recite them by you know by, by memory. But the problem with the people, I bet people love you at parties. Oh yeah, I'm a big hit. I'm a big hit. But, but the funny thing is, so much of the stuff that I love about what I thought was the Christmas Carol in the movies is not in the book. So it's like you know, we'd be saying, I would be discussing scenes and ideas for songs, and I'd say, oh, we got to do something about you know, blah 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 about something like this, and at least you'd go. That's not in the book, you know. So we had to go back to the original text, which actually is wonderful. And there's a lot of stuff in the original text that has never been done in any of the adaptations. They tend to focus on on one section or another. And and, and I think when you listen to it, you'll be surprised on the stuff that you haven't heard that is in Christmas Carol. Um, and it, I mean, it's another reason why we did it. It's, it, it at least it did a fabulous job at, at just taking the story and and making it her own and making it really something different and not just, you know, oh, God, here we go, another Christmas Carol adaptation. You yeah, know. people would say to me, even my mom, oh, well, you have to put this part in, oh, the part where blah, blah, blah. I said, 
no, mom, that's not in the book. Right. Uh, well, well, you're hitting on right there. Like, while maybe I agree, like I am a little sick of the idea of Christmas Carol. But regular people, I mean, you know, when, when you when you get outside of the artists, I think it's mostly artists that bristle at the idea of somebody else is getting reworked all the time because it's not them getting reworked all the time. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. But regular people love Christmas Carol. It's undeniable. It packs. You know. Well, it's 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 one of the you know it's it's like Joseph Campbell would say. It's it's he's one of the hero the hero with a thousand faces. I mean. It's the story that keeps showing up. It's the same story as Star Wars. It's, it, it's, it's one of the basic human stories of the basic human condition that keep reappearing and, and showing their face in different films and different stories all over the place. So it's, well, plus it, it's got this trope that is just, I don't think there's anything quite like it for literally stick any character, any situation in it, where you got this character is an awful guy, needs to change, yeah. and three different ghosts are going to show him his past, present, and future. It's like built to be like... Something that you can literally, okay, let's plug in a baseball player into the lead and let's bring in the coach and the... Right. And that's why there has been Dora the Explorer, (laughs) the Christmas Carol version. And And the Flintstones. And Barbie and the Flintstones. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen the Barbie one. That that must be I wonder if Dickens thought about that when he wrote this. This this could be something that everybody could plug their thing in. Well, you know, (laughs) the funny thing about Dick, about this story, this was supposed to be a pamphlet. He was asked by a friend of his in Parliament. The big thing at the time was that the child labor that, you know, the kids were being used and abused and killed in, in the factories in London. And he was asked by one of the reformers to write a pamphlet, you know, deriding all the conditions that children were under in, in, in the present in London back in the early 1800s. And he put it off and put it off and put it off. And he finally wrote it. And what this pamphlet was, was a Christmas carol. So the most famous... Uh Probably a commissioned piece. <laughs> yeah, right, which he probably made no money on. And there was also a book that brought out last year that was a copy of his, Dickens' own version, because he made a lot of money towards the end of his life going out and reading his own stories. And you could actually pick this up, a copy of it now, and it, see all the parts that he crossed out, like, nah, this is too much, too much of this, and what the parts that he actually thought were important, which is, which is really kind of great. <laughs> well, before we continue, maybe we should take a listen to one of the songs from your uh, CD. Do you want to maybe set this first one up we're going to play? Sure. Uh, This is uh, You Can Keep Your Christmas, and so this is our first introduction to Scrooge, played by uh, Merwin Ford, and um, Fred is Daniel Reichard, who you'll hear, and uh, this is Fred coming to ask Scrooge to come to dinner. And this is Scrooge's response. And and as the BMI people would say, this is his not I want song, but I don't want song. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a listen. Humbug. Uncle! Nephew! Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. To what do I owe this yuletide calling? Storming in my office, I find rather appalling. Shouting at me, merry, merry, this and merry, that. Do you think I care if your old goose is getting fat? What right do you have to be so cheerful? I'll give your cheer a bitter earful. I don't need a poor man's sermon. I have a wealth, so I determine you can keep your Christmas. I'll keep mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good it has ever done you. Every day but Christmas We are simple men and women Bound on our own journey Walking silently past Then along comes Christmas 
Suddenly we see each other, merciful and conscious. We stop walking so fast. Christmas is good. Christmas is pure. This I know for sure. I know that winter days grow colder. Christmas gets you nothing but another day older. What a world of fools I live in! I will pray that you're forgiven. You can keep your Christmas. I'll keep mine. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Christmas brings us bounty. Riches come in children's laughter. Prophets come in simple joys of singing Noel. What does Christmas give me? Not a scrap of gold or silver. Nothing in my pocket, but it served me quite well. Christmas is kind. Christmas is dear. Christmas is love. Quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Not if it were the last Christmas on earth. But why? Why? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you, because you fell in love. Ha! Good afternoon. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. I've come here to invite you to share in our Christmas dinner, and I will continue to invite you year after year. I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a happy New Year. Good afternoon. You can keep your Christmas. I'll keep mine. His nephew left the room without an angry word. As he went out, two portly gentlemen came in seeking donations for the poor. They were pleasant to behold, and now stood in Scrooge's office with books and papers in their hands. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe," said one of the gentlemen. "Do I have the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley?" Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. Our condolences for your partner," the gentleman said. They continued. At this festive season, thousands still go cold and hungry. There is no good reason they should suffer so. While we are regaling, feasting with abundant measure, many more are ailing with no place to go. Time for being grateful. Time for having introspection. We'll serve up a plate full of sustenance and cheer. Every soul's a treasure, so we're taking this collection home to bring some pleasure. I help to support. Many can't go to those places, and many would rather die. Spare me then your dissertation. Maybe it's preordination. Let them reach their ultimation. Help decrease the surplus population. Oh, so uh, I'll put you down for nothing. 
You wish to be left anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Not one more believer dare come near me. Every fool who's shouting Merry Christmas now, hear me. If I had my way, you'd all be cooked in your own tart. Then I'd drive a stake of Christmas holly through your heart. What right do you have to be so cheerful? I'll give your cheer a bitter earful. There is not one soul alive who'll change me. It's how I survive. So you can keep your Christmas. I'll keep mine. You can keep your Christmas. You can keep your bloody Christmas. You can keep your Christmas. I'll keep mine. Ah, All right, so uh, maybe now's a good time to talk about what was the process putting this whole recording together for you guys. Uh, this was self-done, correct? I'm sorry? This was self-done, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, at least it's got two... Record tri- label's giving you $300,000 to record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. The fantasy sure. of the past. Sure, <laughs> Yes, and we're going on tour in a couple of weeks, and we have the writers in our contracts, only green M&Ms, you know. No, uh, we, we basically did this via email. We saw each other maybe once every month or so. You're not supposed to give away our secrets. Shh. Oh, okay. Uh, Elisa's got two wonderful children under the age of five, but anyone who has two kids under the age of five knows what that means. And the fact that she was that able you're to... lying that they're wonderful? No, great kids. No, it means that I do all of my writing after 9 and before 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the fact that she, A, had the time to do this, uh, and it was actually quite amazing. But we, we got into a rhythm and worked very well together, and uh, it was one of the easiest uh, collaborations I've ever had in my life. And it, it was great. Uh, the hard part was doing it as a virtual orchestra. And as you well know, since you do this stuff all the time, it's it's not like it's hard. It's just mind-numbingly boring. You know, you put the flute part down, then you put the violin part down, then you put the second violin part down, then you put the viola part down, and then you got to get in and massage all the notes to make them sound like real instruments. Then you got to put it to Pro Tools, and then you got to get the singers in. And that's sort of like juggling cats. And and then, then you got to mix the whole thing, and then once that's done, you got to go into uh, uh, Sibelius and do the, store, uh, the score, which is what I'm doing now. So uh, this has been my life uh, this past year. It has basically taken a whole year to do this. But as we were trying to, approaching orchestras and trying to uh, book this uh, and, and sell it to orchestras, Bob was getting a lot of feedback of, oh, these three songs sound great, but we really need to hear the whole thing. So Bob said, we have to put down this whole thing. So over this past summer, we called a bunch of my uh, Broadway friends and friends of friends, and we got these fantastic people, uh, Sean Palmer, Chuck Cooper, Lawrence Clayton, John McDonough is our narrator, and uh, Merwin Ford and Daniel Reichert, like I said, um, to make our our principles. And uh, we had them all come down to uh, Bob's studio mostly. We did most of it at your studio, a couple other places. And we recorded the whole thing. And then we were done. We said, wow, we've, we sh- might as well release this as we're trying to, uh, you know, sell the concert. Um, so that's how it came about. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the CD came out, I think, really well, and especially the vocalists are just, they, they knocked me out. They just, they gave 200%. You know, they, they really were into this. Uh, but the point of doing the album is to sell this to orchestras to do it live. It's not about me playing everything. How, how many orchestras are there around the country that could tackle this kind of work? Or, oh, hundreds, or? hundreds. It's, it's just, uh, um, uh, it, it's a matter of, right now we're trying to book it for next year because orchestras book about a year ahead of time. Um, uh, and uh, it's 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 not expensive in the sense of like doing a Broadway show because most orchestras are under contract and they have to do X number of, of, of shows a year without any additional money. Uh, every uh, community usually has a big choir. You know, they can get a big choir together from next to nothing. So usually the expense in doing something like this is getting the soloists in and if you want a few star rhythm player section people, that's the expense of doing, doing a piece like this, which compared to doing a lot of stuff is, is actually very small. So that's why we're hoping that this thing will catch on and, and we think uh, will catch on. And I'd just like to quick note that if there are orchestras out there listening, you can call uh, Spot On Entertainment, is uh, our booking agency, at www.spot-onentertainment.com. Working with a couple of great guys there, Scott Coulter and Lee Lessack. And uh, we're going to have some gigs coming up soon, which hopefully we'll be able to announce soon. Yeah. All right, well, before we go further, let's take a listen to another song from the CD. You want to set up the... Great, well, this is the finale, uh, God Bless Us Everyone, and uh, we have uh, Cratchit, Bob Cratchit is singing this. Um, uh, when we first wrote it, we just sort of imagined a, uh, a female soloist coming out of the choir singing this big, rousing gospel number, of course, God Bless Us Everyone, and then I was looking at the scene that came before it, and I said... This can be Cratchit. This can be, you know, the scene that comes right before this is when Scrooge fools Cratchit. You know, Cratchit comes in late um, to work and Scrooge, why are you late? And he, he pretends he's still the curmudgeonly old Scrooge. And then he reveals himself, I'm going to raise your salary. And, um, you know, Cratchit's, what? Who is this man? And, uh, you know, and then Scrooge says, well, I'm going to help you out with Tiny Tim and I'm going to save your struggling family. And this then Cratchit begins to sing this song. All right, let's take a listen. Great. Who is this man who stands before me? A man whose heart was dark and cold. But now I see his light is shining. And all that darkness turned to gold. He's made a vow to help my family. To give my child a chance to live so he may see a new tomorrow the days hereafter I'll hear his laughter there is no greater gift to give God bless the rich whose feast is endless God bless the poor whose feast is none God bless the man who stands
righteous. God bless the great, God bless the small. God bless them all. than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other city or town in the good old world. He had no further contact with the spirits, but kept the gifts they gave him close to his heart at all times. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. So again, we've been uh, Christmas Carol the concert. Uh, hopefully, across concert halls uh, all next Christmas, and people can definitely say they heard it here first. Uh, any other parting shots you'd like to get out here about the the show, or about what you discovered about Dickens in the original show before we kind of wrap up? Um, just that that this this story uh, originally was it really was a game changer in terms of of the way the British society thought of children and uh, thought of. Uh, it, 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 this was a turning point. This was really a um, uh, a very specific point in time in the history of England where you could say this is where all this stuff started happening, all the social changes started happening. And it was, it was also before this time, a bit of trivia, no one ever said Merry Christmas. They said Happy Christmas. It was, it was Dickens that, that coined the phrase Merry Christmas. So, I mean, there's uh, – and, and after this came out, all sorts of child labor laws were passed. I mean, this was a um, – this story was an engine for change for, for the whole society of, of, of England and later America. You know, and one of the reasons why it's endured, it's it's a great story. Yeah. You know, a great ghost story. And <laughs> that's another thing. We've emphasized in the music and in the lyrics the ghost part of it. 
you know, and that's what because that's what uh, uh, Dickens actually calls it. He calls it a, gris, uh, a Christmas ghost story, mm-hmm. you know. So rather than going the Disney sort of way, we went more the ghost way. Right. You know. All right, and where can uh, people pick up the CD? Uh, you can pick it up at Amazon.com, and you can also download it on iTunes. And uh, you can get to all these places through our website, www.achristmascaroltheconcert.com. All right. Well, once again, uh, Lisa Hauser and Bob Christensen, thanks so much for stopping by. And best of luck with uh, promoting the CD and the concert to uh, symphonies all across the U.S. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Curtain Call. So that wraps up Volume 416 of Broadway Bullet, our season finale. Going to be back again end of January uh, as soon as I get my studio up so I can piece all the things together. Again, this is my last episode interviewing as well as hosting. Like I said, I'm going to intro and outro each podcast episode still and handle editorial duties and assist Dennis with getting interviews. And uh, Dennis Michael Keefe will be taking over as interviewer. Uh, I think he's going to be a lot of fun. I think he'll bring a fresh perspective uh, and – and uh, hopefully you'll give him a chance to learn and grow with this episode. But he's a real nice guy. Again, you want more information on anything in this episode, go to broadwaybullet.com and click on volume 416. Go to michaelgmatrix.com and sign up for my mailing list to get a, that free track, Staring Into the Sun, and lots more free stuff coming along the way and whatnot. And it's been a great uh, four and a half years. I've just had a blast. It's hard to believe it's been so long. So uh, in any case, this is me signing off, uh, but we're going to be back and we're going to be bringing you lots more great interviews. So thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. The Broadway Bullet. The stage is growing
Christians, Christians, and 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 Christians, and